0: God, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Lord, you are the Alpha, the Omega, and the beginning and the end. And the Lord, as the rain has fell, Lord, uh, every drop screams of your existence and screams of your glory. And Lord, we are so thankful for it. And I pray this morning that you would bless us, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord. Because, Lord, we're not here to get our needs met. We're here to worship you. And if we make that our sole purpose, then you will far exceed our needs. Lord, we love you. We give this time to you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, in any letter or email or post that we write, we need to make sure at the end of it, what do we want to do? We want to wind up the letter. We want to wind up the, the post. Whatever we might be writing, we want to make sure that the person reading that gets the full intention of our message. And we also want to include in there, if there's any action that needs to be taken, we want to remember at the end and remind the reader to uh, take whatever action we're asking for. Well, as we see in the letter of John here, the first letter, he summarizes the previous four chapters in the fifth chapter to make sure... That we get the points that he's communicated to us over the last few weeks. And some of those points are that faith and love combined together manifest themselves into a love for God and others. If you were to take the whole theme of 1 John, you would want to say that we need to love God and we need to love others, not and or but it's both. Both of them are equally as important. Also, our faith, love, and actions are evidence which shows where we stand in a continuing relationship with the Lord. What we do is a representation of who we are. Amen? If people were to look at us and how we react with other people, they would know how strong our Christian walk is or the lack thereof. That's why I'm so grateful to know so many of you in here that where I, I know that you're walking with the Lord because because I, I can see it in your walk and I experience it. And, and believe it or not, I, I as your pastor am supposed to minister to you, but more often than not, you minister to me uh, even more. And so uh, we have to make sure that our walks, our actions our thoughts, everything are in line with what we truly believe, because the, the the truth of the matter is that we cannot fool anyone, probably the person we can fool the easiest is ourselves, because when we our actions and our thoughts and and things that we put into our minds and the things that we read and the and the things that we watch, they they affect our entire life. That's kind of like the lady that came to Wednesday night prayer meeting one night and wanted to pray for some of the names that she read off on her prayer list, and there were characters on her soap opera. You have lost reality when you are praying for somebody's baby that has been gone for 20 years and then coming, you know, all of these different wild stories. But, but yeah... If someone, if all they do is watch those programs, that's going to be on the forefront of their mind. Whatever we, whatever we invest in, whatever we put before our eyes, the most that is what is going to affect our lives. That is why it is important that when we watch things, when we hear things, and when we read things, that we have a steady diet of God's word in that. That we have things that bring our mind to God and not take away from them. Well. As we begin with chapter 5 today, in verses 1 through 5, we see this point. is that obedience brings victory by faith. Obedience brings victory by faith. Well, let's look at verses 1 through 5. John writes here, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. And here we go. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what the love of God is. To keep His commands. Now, His commands are not a burden. Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. Let me read that one more time. Because... Whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How do we become victors in this world? How do we conquer the world that we are living in? How do we listen to the news? How do we read the newspaper? How do we see what's going on in the world and not feel like that we are getting beaten down to a pulp? How do we overcome these things? How do we conquer these things when the world tells us to sit down, shut up, be quiet, and don't tell anyone about our faith because it's a personal thing to you. You keep it to yourself and we'll all be okay. How do we stand up in a dark world? Understand that the world is getting darker. And that is not something to be fearful of. This is an exciting time to be a Christian because the darker the world becomes, the brighter your light will shine. And how does our light shine? It is through faith. We can conquer the world because Jesus has conquered it. And how do we do that? Through our faith in Jesus Christ. So we need to have a love for God. And how do we show our love to God? by keeping His commands. They are not a burden. Isn't it amazing that everything that God has created, everything that God has created obeys Him except one creation. And what is that? Man. You and I. We are the one creation that has the opportunity to, to accept Him or reject Him. Gravity obeys God. Fire obeys God. Animals, they have instincts. They have hereditary genes. They have things. They have a circle of life, so to speak, that they exist in, that God has wired them for. Snow, storms, tornadoes, hurricanes, we know that even the winds and the waves obey God, do they not? When Jesus was on the lake, and He told the winds and the waves to stop, He said, peace be still, and they stopped. God controls everything, and everything is under His control, and they are obedient to Him except mankind. And we see a great illustration of this in the story of Jonah. God asked Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah didn't want to go. He rebelled. And so God used a storm, a great fish, and even a little worm to testify to Jonah that he was in control. He used his creation to show Jonah the right way, but yet Jonah still rebelled. Is that you? That was me at one time. To where everything that I would encounter, everything that would happen in life, would scream of God's existence. But I thought I knew better. God, I understand what you were doing, but I don't want to. Kind of like we're standing up and we're saying, heck no, I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. Have you ever been brazen enough in your life to tell God that? Oh no, you wouldn't do that. Not in those words per se. But there are times where we say, God, you can have everything but this. Or God, I trust you, but just not with this. You know, Jesus, take the wheel, but I'm still going to have my hand on it. Well, the drift of the church to abandon God's moral absolutes in the time John was writing this was slow. They didn't just wake up one day and say, we are going to abandon God's truth. It was a slow, gradual, and continuous slide. And we have to be careful. Whether it is slow and continuous or outright rebellious, it is still the same attitude. The reason the church today, when I say the church, I mean as a whole, the reason the church has become diluted today is because we lost sight of the fact of being not conformed to this world but being transformed to the world and instead of us impacting the world the world has impacted us the attitude of consumerism runs rampant in churches it's not about what we can do for the lord but it's about what the church can do for us it's kind of like going through the k&w cafeteria you know I'll take this, and I'll take a little bit of that. Does this have this? Does this have that? I was talking with the staff the other day, and I want us to begin praying. We need to pray for God to send missionaries to Holman Park Baptist Church. What do you mean, preacher? We need missionaries. We need people that are going to come into this church, and it's not going to be about what the church can offer them, but about what God has called them to do to make Holman Park Baptist Church what God wants. We need to pray for missionaries to come into this field. Amen? Amen. And so join me, church, and pray for that, because I understand some of you physically cannot do some of the things that we need. But there are some of you that could but won't. And for those things that we cannot do, it's kind of like I love our, our, our... our building and grounds committee, our, our maintenance men, they, they are awesome. When I first got here, I told Odell and some of them, I said, look, I am not a fix-it man. Y'all fix the church and I'll preach. And, and that's how, they don't let me touch stuff, do you, Odell? No, I can't touch anything. But, you know, it's like he, it's like he said, it's, it's, we've got this understanding, and, and they are doing a great job. And I told them, I said, look, fix what you can fix and then outsource what you can't. And so, at some point, we understand that there are some things that this church can't do, and right now there are some things that it can't. So we need to pray for God to bring the people here to do that. Sometimes I think we're just kind of waiting around and waiting for God to send that magical person one Sunday, and then everything is going to take off like that. Could that happen? Absolutely. God's done bigger things. But do we expect that? Are we praying for that? I'm praying that those that are able in our church to do will do, and those that cannot God will bring those people. And it's going to take time. But we have to, how can we be victorious in this? How can we conquer this? We can conquer it through our faith. And our faith gets legs when we pray. So pray for missionaries to our church. Let us not slide away from the Lord, but draw closer to Him. We also obey God because He calls us His children. I obey my Father because I'm His child. I obey God because I'm His child. But see, the problem is is that so many people in our culture today cannot identify with being a child of God because their own families they come from have been dysfunctional. But they have no sense of a father being the figurehead of the family or, they, or having someone that cares for them. Our family structures have broken down. They can't identify with that because there is no harmony within their family. Maybe someone, maybe a parent is too busy. Or maybe they're absent. Or maybe they're too worried following their needs rather than the needs of their family. And there are other families to where the parents just live in the house and the kids run the family. How do you express to a child that has run the family all of their lives and told mom and dad what to do that there is a God that loves them and they need to submit to Him? Do you see the problem that we are in? The family structure not only breaks down our society, but it breaks down our understanding of God as well. But God is our Heavenly Father and we follow Him because we love Him. And Also, I love in John 5.1 in the New Living Translation obedience is imitation. It says in 5.1 of the New Living Translation imitate God therefore in everything you do. (laughs) How many times have you grown up as you get older you will say things that you know your mom or dad has said and all of a sudden you find yourself saying them. If you don't believe me, ask your close friend or your spouse, and they will tell you exactly how you were like your parents. But that is probably not a discussion I would probably have, because you could probably get into World War III with that discussion, could you not? Uh, you do not call your spouse their mother or father. You just go with it, right? But let's be honest. If we were, if we were to take an honest look at ourselves, there are things about us that are just like our parents. We have imitated them. We have become like them. Maybe not in every way. Maybe not in a destructive way. But there are things that we have imitated, that they have done, that we are doing. That is the same thing with God. When we obey God, we become like Him. We do not become a God. But when we spend time with Him and when we love Him, we are going to want to imitate Him. Obedience is not as much keeping a law, but imitating God. Because God's love is so much more than emotional. It is actually practical. Let me give you an illustration of of, uh, poetic love versus practical love. The writer was trying to get her new collection of love poems picked up by a popular publisher. She had an appointment with the editor, and the editor asked her to read a sample of her work. And she began to rhyme with the most luxurious, eloquent, romantic, sappy string of words that you have ever heard. She used words like moonlight and kisses and hugs and puppy dogs and kitty cats. Romantic walks on the beach. You name it, it had it all. Well, the poem was one of the most sappiest things that the editor has ever heard. So the editor appreciated the sample, but told the writer, said, listen, those things are sweet, but those are not true love. Those are poetic, those are poetic love. Those are things, those are cliches, those are sayings. If you want to write about true love, write about the parent who stays up with a sick child all night. Or the parent who works extra shifts to make sure food is on the table. Or taking care of someone someone who is taking care of someone who is chronically ill. Today's world does not need poetic love. It needs practical love. It needs people that are not going to talk about serving God, but people are going to be serving God. And some of the best places you can serve God is right in the four walls of your own house. That's the kind of love that we need. Love that has practical value. But when obeying God becomes a burden, I want you to understand we lose the blessing. If if obeying God is a burden to you, you are losing the blessing. Just ask someone who has lost a loved one that was sick. And you talk to them, and I guarantee you they'll say, Yes, taking care of them was hard, but I would do anything to have one more day to take care of them. Yes, those days were hard, but now when you look back, you treasure every moment with that person. And when it comes to obeying God, there are going to be things that are going to be hard. You're not going to know how you're going to make it. You're not going to know, you're not going to understand how it's going to work out. All you can do is take that blanket obedience and step out in faith and know that God is going to bless you because if you lose the love in your obedience, then you have lost the blessing of it. And before you know it, it will be gone. Victory lies in the battle of our sinful nature and our regenerate nature. In other words, when we become a Christian, we become a new creature. We are regenerated. But yet our old life is always in conflict with that. In verse 4 of chapter 5, it says, Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world, this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Our victory is a result of our faith. And also, our love and our obedience also represent our relationship with the Lord. For example, a football team was practicing for their playoff game after an undefeated season. Several of the players were dragging around during practice and they were giving a subpar effort at practice today before they were having their playoff games they had gotten a big head because they didn't feel like they needed to practice because the team that they were playing, they had already beaten previously in that season. But well, the coach picked up on their attitude, and he challenged them. He told them, he said, boys, you either need to start practicing or take off those uniforms and quit the team. Because when you wear that uniform, you represent This team. You represent those that played before you and those that will play after you. You represent the school that you're playing for. You represent the families that are supporting you through this. So if you want to give a half effort, don't bother. Folks, when we give half effort in our obedience to God and loving others, we are giving a bad picture of who God is. It is important that we make loving God and loving others a priority in our lives. Well, how can we claim victory? Well, let me show you a few things that we see for victorious living. John's claims for victory. Number one, in verse 17 of chapter 4, these, these are all things that have been previously in his work. Number one, we belong. 1 John 4, 17 says, for we are as he is in this world. We, like Christ, are in this world. We belong. The second thing we see is that we take action. In 1 John 2, 7 it says, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have to be obedient. We walk. And then finally, we speak out in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 6, it says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. It's not just about being a Christian. It is about sharing that faith with others. And we make these claims by faith. And we live these claims by acting on them. The second thing we see, that Jesus is all or nothing. Jesus is all or nothing. Verses 6 through 13. Jesus Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. So what are the three things that testify for Christ? It's open book test. i just read it. The Spirit, and the water, and the blood. These, If you were going to put Jesus Christ on trial, and he was, he was to have supporting witnesses, it would be the water, the blood, and the Spirit. And as we continue to read, says, so let's pick up at verse 9. If we accept the testimony of men, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that he has given about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony with him, the one who does not believe god has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony god has given about his son and this is the testimony god has given us eternal life and this life is in his son now i'm about to read to you two verses that i hope that you either have highlighted or noted or underlined or in some way you give some emphasis some 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 gravitas to These two verses, because these two verses are the benchmark. These two verses are the gate to know whether someone is a Christian or not. In verses 12 and 13, John says, The one who has the Son has life. When he says life, he's talking about eternal life. The one who has the Son has life. And the one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. <coughs> there is a, an argument or a, a point C.S. Lewis made popular. It's called Lewis's Trilemma, to where it says that Jesus Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. One of three things. Je- if Jesus is a liar, then he's made all these claims, and they never became true. If he's a lunatic... He is just someone the people followed, and His movement would have died out. Or, He is Lord. He is who He said He is, and He did what He said He would do, and He is going to come back for you and I, just as He said He would. We see three witnesses to Jesus. I mentioned them earlier. Number one was the water. The water was referring to Jesus' baptism. God claims at Jesus' baptism, that, he, that, that Jesus is His Son for whom He is well pleased. You don't get a bigger endorsement than that, folks. So He says, Jesus is my Son. And God claims Him to be the beloved Son. And this was the launching point, you realize. This was the launching point. At, at 30 years old, this was going to be his three-and-a-half-year ministry. It starts right here at the water. Then when we see at the blood, the blood was Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross. We see an earthquake where Jesus at that moment bore our sins on the cross. When God Himself had to turn His His Gaze upon His Son and turn away from His Son because your sin and my sin, everything that we have committed or will commit have been placed on Jesus Christ. Folks, let me tell you something. How do you think God can look at you and look at me when we have sin in our lives when He can't even look at His own Son with sin in His life? If you have sin in your life, your fellowship with God is broken. Sin is a serious thing. So serious that Jesus shed His blood for it. Then also we see in the blood it made believers. The blood made believers. We see in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four that even the centurion says, This man truly was the Son of God. Then we see the Holy Spirit also testifies to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, understand this, of all the people that were alive during Jesus' earthly ministry, they've all died, right? (laughs) Of course, because if they haven't, they're really getting the senior adult coffee, aren't they? They have no problem with that. There's only one person that is still alive today that was alive when Jesus walked this earth. And that person is called the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit is testifying on behalf of the Son. And also, the Holy Spirit testifies, it says in Romans 8:15 through 16 For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So if you were to go back and look at 1 John 5, verses 12 and 13, I want you to see that this is the gospel made simple. If you want to tell somebody and talk with somebody, or even know for yourself whether you are a Christian or not, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Folks, when it comes to eternal life, it's all about what you do with Jesus. That is why so many cults and so many radical leaders take Jesus out of the picture because He is the crux. He is the turning point. He is the deciding factor on whether someone has eternal life or not. And finally, Jesus' response versus our response. We see a prayer that John ends his letter with. He says, Now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked him for. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him. To those who commit sin that doesn't bring death, there is sin that brings death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. If you remember a couple weeks ago, It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. But it means for those that have an habitual pattern of sin, someone who can be in sin and not get out of it, you have to question whether they really have got the Spirit interceding with them or not. They are either woefully grieving the Holy Spirit or they're not saved at all. But the one who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Let me show you in closing. As we look at this passage... We see Jesus' response to us in this prayer. Number one, He gives us confidence to approach God. Jesus gives us confidence to approach God. We no longer need a high priest to intercede before us in the temple of the Holy of Holies. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, Jesus became our high priest. Everyone has direct access to the Father. So we can approach Him with that confidence. Number two, Jesus responds, He will answer our prayers when they are according to His will. It might not be the answers we want, but He says He will answer. Jesus also moves us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ enough to hold Them accountable. Accountability, I love that. You know what accountability is. When you tell someone, look, if I go off the rails, I give you the the right, or I need you to help me get back on the rails, right? And we all say, yeah, I'd love to do that. But when it comes right down to it, and someone holds you accountable, are you going to have a loving spirit towards that person? Or if someone holds you accountable, and you know that they're not doing what they need to do, do you love them enough to stand in their face and say, stop? Accountability is something that He gives Christians. Also, He protects us from evil and He gives us the means to understand Him. We understand God because we have the Holy Spirit. Those are, what, those are things that Jesus does for us. But now, what is our response? I love this. Verse 21. Little children... Guard yourselves from idols. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. If you would allow me, let me read to you the New Living Translation on that. The New Living Translation says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So as we have taken this journey through 1 John, I hope you understand that Jesus is the key to everything. We worship Jesus today. And, and, and I don't want to fool you. I don't want you to think that, that sometimes I hear sermons and it's like every week, it's like the preacher saying, just accept Jesus and everything else will turn out all right. That's not always the case. Matter of fact, if you accept Jesus Christ into your life, it'll end up getting harder because you're going to want to let go of things that are harming you and your relationship with Him. You're going to want to fix things with loved ones. You're going to want to start putting your life back into order. But the thing is, you're not doing it alone. You have the Holy Spirit to help you. You have victory. You can become a conqueror because Jesus is, has already conquered the world. What are you doing with Jesus? Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? You know the difference, right? There, there are, are hundreds, millions of people that will accept Jesus as Savior. Yep, I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to be a crispy critter. I, I'm head bound Amen. You know, no hell for me. I prayed the prayer. I walked by. And that's as far as it goes. But there's that other part where Jesus is Lord, to where Jesus is in the driver's seat. And your will becomes his will. And it starts to make a difference in your life. Everything hinges on Jesus. And we need to love God, and we need to love others. If you have these three aspects in your life, you are a believer. And if you don't, you need to search your heart. Because God manifests Himself in the lives that are changed. We need to live differently from this world. And if you'd like to accept Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior and Lord, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Or you might say, I've I've got I've been to church and And I understand for the first time that it's not just about praying a prayer, but it's about living a life with Jesus Christ in control. If you'd like to do that, you can come forward. Or if you have a prayer need, or you'd like to join this church, I beg you, don't wait another Sunday. If God is tugging on your heart, come forward today. I'm going to ask Jason to come up front and he will receive you. And he is more than capable of talking with you and praying with you. If you would stand, please, for this invitation.